Now, while you're turning to Luke chapter 1, I want to say uh, a couple of things to you. Number one, thank you for being here, and thank you, Steve, for the honor of being able to teach the last three weeks. And by the way, he's going to be back in the saddle again. Now, I seriously considered singing back in the saddle again. Sing it next week. Yeah, we'll sing it next week. Be sitting on a horse. Yeah, but our guy will be back in the saddle next week. We'll all be thrilled with that. And uh, he'll be in Luke chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and write that down and read the passage, Steve will be teaching us from Luke chapter 4. Now, the second thing I want to say of a personal nature is this. You have in your hand the uh, outline for the study this week. And uh, I have to honestly say, this is absolutely the lousiest outline I have ever put together. I don't know what possessed me when I sent this in. I sent it in early, uh, but I sent it in before I was really totally finished with the study. And then when I even got it, looked at it, I had left off two major points that I didn't want to leave off. And so if you will, and you've got your outline, go on the first side of it and you'll see Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Right under that, uh, put the words, see Acts 12, 5 and Peter's experience in jail. I'm going to talk about both of those, and I left that one off. So it's under Luke 8.1 on your outline. See Acts 12.5 and Peter's experience in jail. Now, turn the sheet over, and uh, on the back side, you'll see after fact four, um, I say I've come to the point of this last message on prayer, and I want you to put in there, see Luke 11, 5 through 8, the parable of a friend coming at midnight. See Luke 11, 5 through 8. So uh, they printed it exactly the way I sent it to them. So they printed a lousy outline, but it was only because the person who put it together, and that's me, put it together in a lousy fashion, okay? I've always figured if you do something, might as well be honest about how you've done it. And I did not do that well at all. So uh, there you have it. Now, uh, Luke chapter 1. And the third thing I'm going to say is this. We're, Steve's going to read our reader, Brother Steve. Wayne? I have to say, Paul, if you hadn't told us that, we'd probably never know. You probably wouldn't have, but it's irritated me to death ever since I got this and I realized I'd done it wrong. And so you're probably right, and I, I appreciate that fact. I sure do. We'll have a time of prayer to begin in a moment, but I want to say this about when Steve, our reader, uh, reads. He's going to read beginning at verse uh, 5 of Luke 1, but when he comes to 8, I'm going to interrupt with the next verse moving down because we're not going to read the whole passage, 5 through 22. It's too lengthy. Uh, all the verses don't match what I'm going to be talking about. So we're going to interrupt it a couple of times. He knows about this, so you'll hear my voice in the midst of the reading a couple of times, okay? Now, before we go to the Scripture, uh, let's have just a moment of prayer. Uh, any 
particular personal uh, prayer request before I lead us as, as we, uh, we pray. I know we've still got sick folks. Uh, and we want to remember people who are suffering through the COVID thing, that's for sure. We've had some who've had surgery. We prayed for last week. Yes. Steve's mom, Sue Joe, is in um, with Deborah Honeycutt right now in Sarah Honeycutt. She'll be back next Saturday. Her name is Sue Joe Good. All right. This is a mother. Okay. She's mom. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Our granddaughter Alyssa goes into the hospital tomorrow night to have our first baby. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. We're ahead of you with 12 great grandkids. So you've got some catching up to do here. So. We have 12 great-grandsons. That's literally a fact. 12 great-grandsons. You've got to catch them today. Yeah, I do. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, uh, thankfully, one of our grandsons and his wife have adopted a little girl from Thailand becoming in May, and she'll be our first great-granddaughter. And so we're thrilled with that. All right? We're still working on all of them. Okay. All right. Wife and kids again. Dan's in, uh, folks in California will continue to pray. We may not specifically remember names and situation, but you've heard. So as we pray in your heart, uh, you carry it before the Lord. Yes. Okay, thank you. Great service last Sunday. I'm sure it will be this morning too. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you that prayer is not when we bow our heads and close our eyes, though there's nothing wrong with that at all. But Father, prayer was the minute we recognize your presence and that we live in your presence, that we're in communion with you and we can live 24-7 that way. And I thank you for that. But these specific requests have been made. And so we ask for prayer for the wife and kids in California, for a mother and uh, for a granddaughter who's about to give birth and other situations, specifics about which we may not know, but you certainly do. And through the person of your spirit, may those be born to your throne of grace with utterings that cannot even be uttered. And Father, thank you that we have the Word of God to open. We know the Holy Spirit is our teacher, so may he instruct us in these next few minutes. And this is our prayer in the strong and wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, Steve, would you read Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God. Now go down to verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. 
your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Now go down to verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them that remained unable to speak. Now that is a phenomenal passage of Scripture, and we're going to get into it for just a moment. But before we do, let me remind you of what we've already talked about. You remember in the first message on prayer that I brought uh, some three weeks ago now, we looked at the word prosyuske, which is the most common used word in the New Testament translated prayer. Now, there are four words that are translated prayer. Three of them have little to do with personal requests. One of them has to do with requesting beseeching, and so on. Three of them are what we call attitudinal. In other words, hoping or wishing, or in this way of recognizing we're living in the presence of. That's the word prosyuske. It means the atmosphere of a relationship that exists between a believer and his God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do have a relationship with him. We mentioned the fact that Paul says it's like being married to Jesus. It's like being a servant to Jesus. And it's like being a friend to Jesus. But what that means is in those relationships, we are to live the word pros, which is the first part of that word, prosiuske. Pros means with, together with, in relationship with. It's the same word used in John 1, 1, when it said the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, in relationship to God. That's what that word means. We are living in a communing relationship with God 24-7. Every moment of our life, we will always be in the presence of God. Now, the reason is because the veil has been torn. The Holy of Holies have been opened. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and we dwell in His presence. Now, that word is used for prayer 37 times. So the New Testament actually emphasizes that New Testament prayer is as much, maybe even more so, the understanding of having an attitude that we're living in the very presence of God. In fact, to be candid with you, I have changed my definition of a prayer warrior. I no longer think of the prayer warrior as the one who spends time on their knees as much as I do the one who spends all of their time recognizing they dwell and live and are in the presence of Almighty God. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, the veil has been gone, 
ripped apart and we dwell in his presence. Now, you understand why for the Jewish folks, this would be so hard for them to comprehend because all of their lives, they've been taught you can only meet God one day a year on the Day of Atonement, one place, the temple in Jerusalem, and only one person, the high priest, Aaron and all of his following descendants. They were the only ones who were privileged to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple in the presence of God. But now we are his temple. We dwell in him and he is in us. That's Christianity. That's living a life of communion with God. That's learning to be a prayer warrior when you learn to live in communion that way. Now, the second message was, of course, there are times when we specifically ask and request for things. That's part of what prayer is all about. And there's a word devoted to that. One of the four means exactly that, to bear a request before. And so uh, that's a good thing to do. But always remember, when you ask God for something, in the second message, we looked at the fact you better be ready for him to answer it his way, in his time, for his purpose. And we use Paul the Apostle as an illustration of that. Paul the Apostle had a, a desire to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome more than anything in his life. I probably think he probably wanted, we don't know, we'll have to ask him one day, but uh, he probably wanted to make Rome his headquarters for his preaching ministry because all roads led to Rome. Now, God said yes to that prayer to go to Rome because Paul asked the Romans to pray that he could. And he said, I'm requesting the same thing. And God said yes, only he went God's way. Paul had in his mind, he'd go to Rome and preach to thousands of people. Only he went to Rome some years later as a prisoner, chained to a soldier in a private home in which he lived. For two years, he didn't preach to crowds at all. Oh, he got to speak to people and witness to folks individually, but he wrote four books of his uh, books in the New Testament came from that two years time in the city of Rome. So that was God's way of answering his prayer. Yeah, you can go to Rome, but you gotta go my way, the way I want you to go. And then we saw he had to go in God's time. He was expecting to go immediately to Rome. It was four years later that he went to Rome after having spent two years in a jail in Caesarea Philippi. He was finally taken by ship to Rome. So you have to be ready and willing for God to answer it his way, his time, and for his purposes. He didn't do preaching to the multitudes. He did the writing of those letters that we now call the New Testament, part of the New Testament. And so those are the first two messages. Now we come to the final study and this little thing I'm doing on prayer. And that message, the third message is, what do we do when the answer to our prayer takes a long, long time to come about? Do you keep on praying 
Do you keep on asking? Do you keep on uh, requesting ad nauseum? I mean, what's the deal here? Well, that's the reason we're going to be looking at this fellow by the name of Zechariah. Luke 1, I love the 18th verse uh, that Steve read a moment ago. In verse 18, it says, Zechariah said to the angel, how will this be? Now, how will this be means this. Gabriel said, uh, you and your wife have prayed in the past for a child. Now, that answer is here. You're going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. And of course, you know who it was. It was John the Baptist who was the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how will this be? And here is a guy who really is diplomatic. He's diplomatic on two fronts. The first front was when he said, how is that uh, going to happen? I'm an old man and my wife has a few years on her. That's pretty diplomatic. I mean, you know, my wife having a few advanced years on her is better than saying she's an old woman. You see? So he's a pretty diplomatic guy. And the second part of his diplomacy was a little bit of self-protection probably because he was diplomatic enough to not mention that he and his wife had quit praying a long time ago. Now the language indicates that because he now knows he's too old. She's always been barren. So there's no way under heaven they can have a child. So they quit requesting for it at the time they came to be too old for an answer for their prayer to come about. And so it's been a long time. The scripture indicates in the language that Zechariah has even asked for this child. Uh, well, the angel said, uh, you're going to have a child, but because you don't, you, you don't believe you can, even though I said you're going to, he had a divinely induced case of lockjaw for a lot of months, okay? He couldn't talk at all. Well, I really love verse 13 where it said this. The angel said, now don't be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer, now if you have the King James, it says, is heard. That is a totally incorrect translation. The proper translation is your prayer was heard. It's in the past tense. In fact, Steve, go to your uh, version that you read a while ago and read verse 13 again, would you? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son to give him the name John. The verse uh, he read is talking about has already been heard. And the implication there is a long time ago. Why? Because he hadn't prayed that prayer in a long, long time. And so what the angel is saying is when you first asked the request, it was heard. And the answer was yes. Well, if that's true, why in the world has it taken so long uh, for the yes to come about? Why has it taken so long for the birth of this child to come? We'll answer that before we're finished. But just remember this. Um, he had waited, praying specifically 
that he and his wife Elizabeth would be able to have a child. Seemingly, that was never answered. They never had a child. Now they're too old, and so he just gives up praying. He quits praying. Now, can I confess something else to you? I've done some work of confessing today. Uh, I confess that I generally find myself uh, a little more in the uh, situation Zacharias was in than I do uh, anybody else. In other words, I always have had a little bit of a problem of praying over and over and over for the same thing. I've just had a personal problem with that. When you go to Acts chapter 12, verse 5, we'll not turn to it, but you will read of Peter being in jail. Now, James had already been arrested and already been beheaded. Now, the same guy who arrested James saw that it pleased the people, so he arrested Peter. Now, it was the beginning of the week of the Passover, so he didn't want to do it during that religious holiday and offend some of the Jews. So he put him in jail, and he was there for multiple days, maybe even multiple weeks. The time was going to come for Peter when uh, his head would be removed too. Well, the church started to pray. And uh, uh, the scripture says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church uh, earnestly prayed for God about him. That word earnestly, it's a word which means fervently, but it also means in the Greek language, continuously. Every day they asked over and over and over again, would you deliver Peter? Do something about Peter being in prison. Lord, we need Peter as a leader. We don't need him to die like James did. Would you please? And over and over, the church prayed for Peter for those days or even weeks that he was in prison. Now, I've always had a little problem with that. I just have. I have several facts that I want to point out to you uh, that have always given me a little bit of my problem, and that is this, that it's a fact that God is never impressed with a lot of words. Am I right there? God is never impressed with a lot of words. Uh, ask the Pharisees about that. You remember when he told them, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like a bunch of pagans is what one translation says, for they think they will heard, be, be heard because of their many words. Now, what that verse is saying is, saying many words uh, doesn't impress God. You're not going to get what you asked for by deciding that you're going to use many, many words. Now, a first cousin to that idea uh, is getting a lot of people to pray. Once in a while, you, you, you'll hear people say, now, we all have got to pray. The more people we get praying, the more we're likely to get our answer. Now, I'm not discounting getting a lot of people to pray. That's a good thing. I'm just saying this. God isn't impressed with a lot of words. Do you know it doesn't take a lot of faith to impress God? In fact, a little faith, according to Scripture, can actually move mountains as far as God's concerned. 
So you get somebody who has a little bit of genuine faith, great things can happen. Why? Because God's not in the business of only doing when there's a lot of faith. He'll take a little grain of true faith and do more than we ever dream possible. Now, the same thing is true of, of prayer, I believe. When there is true prayer growing, going on, I'd rather three or four people who are really burdened and pray, I'd rather see that happen than a whole bunch who think of it once in a while and say, oh, I need to pray about then, you know, and forget it and then so on. Uh, I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying... I've always struggled with it a little bit. God is not impressed with a lot of words. I don't even think God's impressed with a lot of people praying. Now, it doesn't mean that a lot of people shouldn't pray. I'm just saying God's purposes are brought about when real faith, no matter how small, real prayer, no matter how few are praying, is done that's when God is really turned loose to work. That's the New Testament vision that we have of God being influenced with our prayer. Now, real prayer is important, requesting, but God is not impressed with a lot of words. By the way, a second fact that I always have been reminded of, God doesn't wear hearing aids either. He's not hard of hearing. Now, I wear hearing aids. It's the reason I wear this mask where I don't have to put anything behind my ear is because I can, you know, belt it to the back of my neck because it messes up my hearing aids. And every time I take one of those masks off, it'll pop my hearing aid out. I was in the car and I took it out. My hearing aid popped over and went between Mary and my seat. It took us a couple of days to find that baby. So I just decided to get me one I didn't have to put around my ear. Well, God isn't bothered by hearing aids. He's not hard of hearing. Uh, there is no such thing as a divine hearing aid needed for God to know when we're requesting something. He's not impressed with a lot of words, and he isn't hard of hearing. In fact, three is uh, God knew the circumstances of Zacharias and Elizabeth getting old and of Peter being in jail. In other words, when we pray, we're not informing God of circumstances that he doesn't know anything about. A am I right there? In other words, when we pray, he doesn't say, oh man, am I glad you told me that. Now I'll do something. That's not God. God's on top of the circumstances before we ever request. He even has the knowledge of what we need before we ask for it, according to the New Testament. Now, all of this is making me have a little bit of a problem with just praying on and on and on. But I'll show you some other things before we finish. Then the fourth thing is, and that's this. James, the scripture says, was arrested by the same Herod. James was beheaded. Now, the scripture doesn't indicate, but I assume, and I think I'm assuming it correctly, that the church also prayed for James. And I'll bet, if I were a betting Christian, that they prayed for James uh, with the same passion and frequency and fervency that they prayed for Peter. The only problem was James lost his life. All right. You've got here um, 
Peter being prayed for, James being prayed for, Zacharias and Elizabeth getting old. Does God know the circumstances? Oh, yes, he knows them. We're not informing him of any circumstances. But that fourth fact is this. Even in the circumstances that are a reality in our life, God doesn't always give the same answer. So that when they asked for Peter to be spared, God said no. When they asked, I mean, for James to be spared, they said no. When they asked for Peter to be spared, God said yes. And he was miraculously delivered. I'm always interested in the fact that I've heard messages. In fact, I've preached a ton of messages from Peter and him miraculously being in jail and the chains falling off and the door swinging open and the church having prayed and Peter walked out. But I haven't heard too many messages on the fact that the church prayed for James and he was beheaded. But that's just the way things are purposed in the things of God, in the ways of God. Are are you see? So all of this has given me a little bit of pause in repeatedly praying over and over for something. Now, I know what you're thinking, and I think you're thinking correctly. You're thinking, Brother Paul, if you go to Luke 11, verses 5 through 8, you'll read the parable about the friend who came at night needing some things because he had guests come and he knocked on the door of his buddy who was a neighbor evidently and knocked on his door. He needed some help getting some food and stuff for the folks who had come. And the guy didn't answer. Well, he kept on knocking. The guy didn't answer. He kept on persistently knocking. Finally, after a lot of persistency in in knocking, he got up, he went out, and he gave what had been requested. So someone says, and by the way, in that uh, Luke 11 passage uh, are those verses, ask and you shall find, seek and you shall, or ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be open to you. Those are all in the imperative, the present imperative. It means it's a command. So right here, the scripture's commanding us. There are those times when we're to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Now, my question is, I get that, but which will the answer be? Will it be a James or will it be a Peter? Will it be a no or will it be a yes? Or will it be a wait a while as it was with Zacharias and Elizabeth? Well, we don't know oftentimes which answer is being given. So we come today to the final study on this uh, thing of prayer. And we're going to look at this uh, thing of, is there ever a time and are there ever reasons uh, for which we ought to keep on praying? And my answer is, yes, there are those times and there are those reasons we ought to keep on praying about some things. Now, let me say this to you and don't ever forget this. If you ever in your heart have this sense of, I want to pray, I need to pray, ever, if you ever have this burden, 
I want to pray and ask God for something or uh, request from God something. If you ever have this burden to pray about something, you can always rest assured the devil never gives you a burden to pray. So whatever is in your heart that's moving you into a position of requesting of God something in your life, you can know that God is at work in your life, not the enemy. Okay? Always remember that. Only the Holy Spirit will genuinely impress us and, and burden us to pray for something about a, a situation or an individual or a circumstance that we're facing. Dan's praying for his family in California. We've joined him. How long do we pray? Maybe again and again and again. Now, we understand that God's not impressed with words. We understand that God isn't deaf. We understand that all of these things are true about God. And yet he says there are those times when we're to be persistent in praying, to keep on praying about some things for some people, for some situations and circumstances. Now, the question is, why? Why would we ever want to keep on praying? Even if you've got a Paul Burleson who has a little bit of a struggle with this thing of ongoing in, uh, in prayer uh, because God isn't impressed with a, even if that person admits that to you, there are times and reasons and purposes for which we ought sometimes to keep on praying and requesting. Now, what are those? Well, one thing is we keep on praying because God has commanded us to do so. That's enough for me. Luke 11, 5 through 8 is enough for me. There are times when I'm to be persistent. And if I'm not relieved of a burden in my heart over something for which I prayed, I still have that burden. I'm going to keep on asking, keep on praying, keep on requesting. I'm going to keep on. There are situations and circumstances in my life right now that I have no earthly understanding of why they're there. I have no idea of how they could be helped by allowing them to continue. But they, I'm burdened by them, and one has to do with a close family member for whom I've prayed for years and years, and I will continue to do so. Now, why? Because I'm commanded to. And that burden is there. I'm going to keep on praying. I want to obey the command of the Lord. Now, I'll remember that God answers his way in his time for his purpose. I'll remember that, but I'm going to keep on praying. Why? Simply because God has told me to do that. Now, that doesn't go over well with the present generation. Present generation just doesn't like anybody telling them what they ought to do. And there are a lot of people in the past generations who didn't like that. I was one of them. I struggle with anybody telling me what I ought to do. My wife had a sweatshirt made one time. Don't should on me. 
You should do this. You should not do that. Don't should on me. You have to say it slowly and carefully. Okay? Uh, you know, so uh, I'm one of those who uh, had a hard time, somebody telling me what to do. But I'm learning that sometimes as a Christian, I need to know that if it's a command, I'm to obey it. Whether I understand it, whether I think it's a wise one. Now, I'm talking about if it's a true command. Some things are not a command. You know, so when you pray, bow your head and close your eyes, not a command. Never you know, uh, so now people have got reasons for it. In other words, shut out everybody and shut out everything. I understand that. Just don't say God commands us to pray that way because he doesn't. Okay, that's just a way we devise. And it's okay. It's a good way. But there's no command that we are to bow our head, close our eyes in order to pray. Prayer is living with eyes wide open in the very presence of the realness of God. Amen. And then there are those times when I just have to bow my head, and close my eyes and get alone with God in that fashion. But the point is I do it because I'm commanded to do it. There's a second reason that we should go on and pray with regularity about some things, and that's because uh, he may need to prepare the ones for whom we're praying. He may need to do something to get people ready. That's the way it was with Zacharias and Elizabeth. When God answered their prayer years ago when they were asking for a child, only God was waiting and waiting and waiting. Why? Because God was going to give them a son. They even, he even told them what to name him. Name him John. Why? Because he's going to be the what? Forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was going to be the announcer of the one who was coming to establish his new spiritual kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist. Now watch. But in order for that to happen... Jesus was born in the fullness of time. In other words, in exactly the right time and circumstance. That meant John had to come about in the fullness of time as well. So you see, sometimes God has to work to arrange things, to get things ready for what he's going to do. We all know the parable of the, the prodigal son, how that prodigal son went into the far country. We all rejoice over the fact when he came to himself, he came to his father and he would practice praying, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just make me as a hired servant. And the scripture says the father saw him coming from afar off. Now that means that daddy had been waiting on him. Now let me ask you this. Do you think the father of the prodigal son, if he'd been watching for him, do you think he'd also been praying for him? I do. I think he'd been praying for him like Dan's praying for his children. Rightfully so. Keep on praying. Why? Sometimes God has to take some time to work something in the lives and the hearts of those for whom we're praying. In other words, that prodigal son had to waste his money, had to find himself eating a slop in the pig pen, 
food that nobody else would touch. And when he did, the scripture says he came to himself. What have I done? Probably had an indentation in his forehead. What have I done? He came to himself. See, God had finally worked in the prodigal son in order to get him ready for that reunion. So, ladies and gentlemen, we keep on praying because God commanded us to, but we also keep on praying because oftentimes God has to get people ready uh, for whom we're praying, get things ready, situations for which we're praying. But there's a third reason, and that's this. We keep on praying because God may want to grow us up as we pray. Now, here's what I'm talking about. Have you ever noticed that when you really, or I really, when we really honestly pray for someone, we tend to get more concerned about them. We tend to grow a little bit in our love for them. Our, we tend uh, oftentimes to uh, begin to realize uh, that uh, we want to be a part of their lives. We might even grow to a point where we can forgive them if it's someone who's wounded us and we're praying for them. You see, sometimes God delays in giving an answer because he's changing us. Now, I'm just being candid with you without getting too personal or uh, factual here. I have a prayer request. I thought I'd been praying for a long time, but I hadn't. Because when I really started praying for this person, it changed my attitude toward them. I found myself making trips to be with them. Are you following me here? I would have never done that before until I had gotten under a burden of prayer for that individual. Has my prayer request been answered? The answer is no. But I'll tell you this. I'm not the same person I was when I started praying for that individual. You see, God's at work in more ways than we understand. So I think sometimes we just need to keep on praying. And then the last one, and I don't have time to finish this, but, uh, and that's because sometimes in the spiritual warfare, it takes God some time to get uh, his angels through to do what he wants to do. Now, I don't understand that. Spiritual warfare is not my forte. I know there's the reality of spiritual warfare. I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, the cross of Jesus Christ has defeated the enemy. Amen. Satan is a defeated enemy because of the cross. But I do know that sometimes angels, in fact, the scripture indicates this, has to work through fighting spiritual warfare in order to get to a place where God does what he does. Now, I know that. Don't know too much about it. I just know that we're in a spiritual warfare. But since I don't know a whole lot about it, I'm going to leave the enemy defeated by the cross in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to pray consistently on occasion, 
because he's commanded me to do it. Because sometimes it takes time for him to get everything ready for that person to be impacted. And because he wants to do something in my life. And then the spiritual warfare, God will take care of. Because he has already defeated the enemy. Whatever he has to do to break through spiritual forces, he'll do it. Because he is our victor. And we are no longer victims to any person or any circumstance. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. So keep on praying. Keep this in mind as you think about prayer. And if it's been a little bit of help to you, uh, I'm glad. I've gone two minutes too long and uh, we're done. All right. God bless you. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Remember Luke 4, read it for next week and back in the saddle again.